0: Yes, a secret weapon Yeah Hi, I'm Donna Lauren.
1: And I'm Dr. Adam Girachi.
0: And you are listening to Love's a Secret Weapon Podcast. Chapter 14. So do the zonk. Part two. The post Woodstock and Watergate years, the macrocosm of what was going on all around me really set the tone of the microcosm of my world. Woodstock was symbolic of idealism. Three days, half a million people. Music was the universal language through rain and mud, camping out and a substandard living conditions. There was a positive mood and very little traumatic incidents. Pretty good statistics for half a million people gathering in one place. Yes, there was substance abuse, and perhaps some of the performers were more intoxicated than anyone in the audience. But Woodstock was so symbolic of what the flower children were setting the bar for that somehow we would focus more on love than hate. Only a few short years later and the corruption of Watergate unearthed a completely unprincipled person who had to resign shamefully from being our president. My experience of Kennedy's assassination in Dallas impacted me the same way Watergate impacted my husband. Watergate left the whole country in a state of betrayal. There was an atmosphere in America of this betrayal, and inside my home and inside my heart, there was a direct correlation of that feeling. I started hearing the word apathy. Politically, this country went into what we call the silent majority, where the assassinations of the two Kennedy brothers and Martin Luther King, the betrayal of Nixon and the abandonment and neglect of soldiers, that were coming back from Vietnam set a mood in this country of apathy. Even more than apathy was a lack of empowerment. You're kidding yourself if you think that whatever is going on inside you isn't directly affected by everything that's going on around you. It's the big picture. I always felt a conflict in my life. There were so many unknowns On the surface, it appeared, what could possibly be wrong? But that was a very thin veneer because I was struggling with many subliminal issues that were keeping me depressed. I had a very difficult time trusting myself, which constantly left me in a state of chaos and confusion. This lack of trust created an environment where I felt nobody trusted me. There were some exceptions. My friends Evelyn and Lynn were very compassionate women, and I always felt safe with them. In general, I began hiding. Hiding from criticism. Communication had broken down dramatically with my parents, so I wouldn't turn to them. My husband was completely immersed in his career and very absent in my life. It was very, very lonely. I turned to my piano and music to express my emotions, frustrations, and the mystery of what was causing my inner turmoil. There was a room at the end of the house that I shared, with Lenny's hobby of building model airplanes. It gave me a space of my own. A hallway leading to it essentially made it feel detached from the rest of the house. It was a multi-purpose room. I had my upright piano in it which didn't take up too much space. A hardwood floor served as a dance area adjacent to the wall-to-wall mirrors and ballet bar that I had installed. I've always been an early riser, and so in the wee hours of the morning, I would venture to this sanctuary and have complete privacy, as well as not disturb anyone while they were sleeping. In these desperate times, I resorted to getting high and singing my lungs out. In this altered state of mind, I felt extremely creative, started writing many songs, unlike the experience I had when I was only 14 and told to write songs by my parents. Their idea was to have B-sides of my records written by me to cash in on writing credit. Another manipulation by them that was the furthest thing from any inspiration All the chaos and confusion came out in lyrics and music while I spent my private time in the back room of my house. Each time a a new song would come and they would come fast and furious. I had a great sense of fulfillment. I try to gauge this pleasurable time so that I wouldn't have to overcompensate when it came to the duties of being wife and mother. My family awoke several hours later amazingly I felt fully functional making everyone their breakfast and getting them dressed for the day but I failed on many levels when my emotions got the best of me literally I was raising my children as a single parent because of their father's devotion to his career my dear friend Lynn was the saving grace in this scenario for many years she would join our family table for dinner and spend the evening with the children and me. Even with my lifelong friend who was extremely close to my family and me at the time, I couldn't really communicate about my feelings because everything appeared to be so abundant and fulfilling on the surface. We were two lonely women doing the grown-up version of playing house with two beautiful dolls. The feeling of abandonment was overwhelming. I tended to want my children near me and kept them home from school to fill the void in my life. This pattern of behavior, I felt, was born from the pressure that I had to enroll my kids in school at a very young age. My first child was 2.9 years, and my second was 2.7. In my world, when a child was born, they were put on a waiting list for the best schools and expected to start as soon as they were out of diapers. My instinct of wanting to be a stay-at-home mom was overshadowed by the expectations that were all around me. I tried to accommodate the wishes of my husband in our social circle. Certainly integrating your child into a place where they can meet and make friends is a positive thing. But their exposure to other kids inevitably ended in picking up some cold or virus. I never wanted to give my kids antibiotics. Their father did, which always created a lot of tension when I kept them home for longer periods until they were well enough to go back to school. I had a beautiful yard for them to play in, and I loved to stay home and play with them, feed them, and take care of them. I never objected to having my children's friends over. In fact, I loved it. Who wrote the book on parenting? You learn it as you go along. Some things you do right, some things you get wrong. In reference to my children's education, there is a direct correlation to my own experience of never having school or education being important. The way I was raised, my education was not a priority. I'm a product of my environment. I'm certainly not against learning. I'm a huge fan of learning and self-taught. But I am anti-establishment. The 70s gave birth to the self-help era, a counterculture reaction to the politics of the time. I had already turned to Eastern philosophy incorporating Tai Chi and acupuncture into my lifestyle. Lo and behold, my new inner and outer strength led to my third child, my beautiful Katie. At 31, after having two children who were nearly 10 and seven years of age, it was almost like starting all over. In the late 60s and early 70s, the concept of population control pervaded my mind only two children per household would maintain a healthy growth in population for the future generation what about my friends with no children or only one that was part of my rationalization for wanting a third I was already in love with the new life growing inside me and around the two-month mark my nausea was slight and my husband's work schedule had a break we decided to take a little family vacation to Lake Tahoe.
1: I'm really interested, Donna, in this idea, and there's a lot to talk about with this latest reading from the manuscript. But particularly when you talk about many unknowns in this time in your life, uh, I'm interested in just unpacking that one a little bit more.
0: Yes. Oh, gosh, Dr. Adam, you know, you, you um, have studied psychology and practiced mm-hmm. psychology for, for what a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for me anyway, in my long life, uh, my experience with being in the unknown in the past, especially when I was young, in my 20s and early 30s, the unknown was this sense of uncertainty and it we created you know all kinds of emotional reactions like frustration and anxiety and mm. anger and you know and uh, anger especially i never could put my finger on what was literally causing it you know like there was an undercurrent maybe mm. things were happening that you could you know say okay someone did this and it created a reaction and i got angry but no something was welling up inside me and i couldn't really understand why i was going into this this place of anger and it it was very very confusing for me and but later on what i've come to understand and, of course, in hindsight, we all wish we knew, you know, <laughs> what we know now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. you know, with the coronavirus and the variants and how long it's been going on now for uh, just about two years, um, when it started, I really felt like the rug was pulled out from under me. Yeah. Um, as maybe you did or, you know, maybe people that you've spoken to, Mm -hmm. you know, where you really feel like you're in the unknown.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's frightening and, you know, and it creates this um, isolation and feeling like you're alone. And and (laughs) so what I did uh, two years ago was pick up a book, um, that was not written by Krishnamurti, who was a an Indian philosopher, Eastern mm. Indian philosopher, mm. um, very very interesting person who was actually discovered in India when he was a very young lad mm-hmm. for his wisdom, and and then cultivated into actually a center in England as well as in California in Ojai, California, where he has a school to this day. He's no longer with us, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think since the mid 80s. Um, But his school is still alive and well. And whenever he spoke, which he did quite often, uh, his speakings were recorded. And um, and from those recordings, there were books written. Like he never, ever wrote a book. Mm. So all of the books come from his um, stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Well, he started talking about the unknown.
2: Mm.
0: And <laughs> talk about synchronicity. You know, when you need something and you ask the heavens, or you, you know, maybe you get angry and, you mm. you know, you, you act out, but you're asking for some, some answer. Mm. And what I interpreted from what he said was that when you're in the unknown, you're in a place to expand into mm-hmm. the universe. Mm-hmm. And like we talk about a lot, you know, and trust that there is a higher power that's guiding you. And that when you literally drop to your knees and Mm. feel humbled by Mm. a situation, Mm. you know, it could be a marriage, it could be any relationships, it can be all kinds of different, you know, now we have this illness and, Mm. and war and whatever, you know, that comes along that, creates a, a a climate of uncertainty.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I equated the unknown
2: mm-hmm.
0: with trust. Mm-hmm. Trust in a way that I really um hadn't consciously experienced daily basis. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, hourly, you know, just feeling so humbled and and connected to whatever power is out there put a name on it you know call it god call it the creator mm-hmm. call it spirit call it buddha i don't know call it whatever call it the stars call it the whatever you want to call it there's something out there that's more powerful than you and um and it requires trust when you're especially when you're in that unknown um how do you say environment yeah you know? And and then it lingers and it lingers and and you think well it teaches you patience. Um, it depends on how you act out. You know, mm, I mean, mm. it can it can create a lack of patience, which you know could be really difficult and um, destructive.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, at this uh, particularly looking at it now and and in what's going on now, but also paralleling what was happening. Uh, you know back then, in your life, as well, I think there there are those parallels with um, a lot of unrest um, you know the, I think the virus is bringing a lot of people together, but there are divisions as well when if we look at that early part of um, the seventies coming out of the sixties coming out of that sort of revolution and into this more i think what you call this more apathetic atmosphere, um, you know like you say it kind of it, it kind of mirrors everyone's individual lives as well as what's going on in the bigger world, because it is all connected.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, gosh, you know, I, I heard a, a definition of depression. mm, mm. Um, And you can corroborate this. Um, depression is when you don't want to feel something. mm, mm. So you're shielding yourself from feeling something in that apathy that you're speaking of that I, you know, started hearing about in the early 70s mm. after the, you know, the iconic deaths of the Kennedys and Martin Luther King and etc. And then the disgrace of Nixon, you know, created uh, an atmosphere where, you know, a lot of hopefulness um Mm. was it was it really enshrouded in shadow and and darkness and when you don't want to feel that i mean if if in my uh world the hopefulness was so predominant in the 60s Mm.
2: you
0: know and Maybe personally, uh, you know, I have some capacity for resilience that, you know, made me feel like I could keep bouncing back from each situation that was occurring. Yeah. You know, on a large, you know, on the world, on a global level, on a, you know, um, on the world stage or just in my own little world. Um, But, you know, you reach a threshold, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And it becomes... Painful, and so yeah, you enter into not just a a, a drug related um, kind of uh, mm. social environment where it's accepted that you know, okay, if you want to maintain this this hopefulness, you might want to get high on <laughs> you know mm. a good glass of wine or mm. or maybe some nice marijuana or something like that. Which wasn't seen as nice then, but no. it is now, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, you know um it wasn't it wasn't about an escape, it was about an enhancement and and also to put you in a place of either feeling creative or actually becoming more creative, you know drawing something mm. out of you that maybe you would have been inhibited by you know, for some reason, mm. you know, but that depression of not wanting to feel, you know, it's like you get you get slapped down. Well, what I'm trying to correlate is that sense of depression and the lack of hope, you know, the feeling of hopelessness um, in the 70s when that word apathy became so mm. prominent.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting what you say as well about this idea of being able to express oneself, even when you are in confusion or being unsure and certainly using a method to try to gain some clarity. And in your case, it was it was writing songs and, and performing privately songs. Um, and, you know, even within that turmoil and that confusion of trying to figure out sort of what was going on, um, I guess you still were progressing in the sense that you talk about Whereas songwriting had always been approached something differently, it was about trying to write a B-side and to to have a hit, um, or or at least to have uh, the royalties from a particular um, song that you'd written. You know, this time it was more about expression rather than a, a different approach.
0: Which <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure anyone listening would agree that. You know, when when you get into a creative space, no matter what it is, I mean, it can be a mechanic fixing a car. I mean, if you're in a space where you are in the present,
2: mm-hmm. you are
0: in the now, and you are at one with whatever you're doing, um, you're pretty happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's like you are living your life. In the moment in the now state of mind, it, rather than um, you know reflecting, which we do a lot, but mm. hopefully you know my objective with you is to observe the past with present eyes, mm. so that you know I can learn and you know you can learn and we can all learn together mm. you know from from the past but not not dwell in the past.
1: Absolutely. And and I think that's probably a good indication of the person that we're speaking with, uh, you know, today um, that we speak a lot and we'll, we'll introduce who it is um, soon. But we speak a lot about the past and, and both of your shared history. Um, but this person and you and, and hopefully I are, are also got an eye for what we're doing now. And it's not just about going back and looking back in the, in the past. Um, You know, like they say, it's okay to look back, but don't stare. Um, You know, it's really about <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking back, back, but also constantly moving forward and, and being in the present. So not being too focused on just where we're going as well, but also being in the present. And, um, you know, I think, what we're talking about now really speaks to the conversation uh, we had with our very special guest. Um, Would you like to tell our listeners who this is?
0: Oh, yes. Well, a very sweet woman. Oh, my goodness. She is a charming, beautiful Bobby Mm -hmm. Shaw chance whom, uh, you know, I met on the Beach Party movies Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, among – Many of the cast, and there were so Mm. many, you know, Mm. beach boys and beach girls and comedians and actors and Mm. performers. Um, She stood out as being very genuine and uh, approachable. Mm -hmm. And um, I just loved hearing her, you know, her retrospective of, of the experiences she had on set.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, which led to what she does in, you know, in the moment today with her son, in uh, approaching acting for um, serious uh, young people who would love to see their name in lights one day, but mm-hmm. also are just pursuing the art of being able to tell a story and uh, authentically. So, yes, let's listen to Bobby. Beach Blanket,
2: Bingo! Beach Blanket, Bingo! Beach Blanket, Bingo! That's the name of the... That's the name of the... That's the name of the...
1: It's a beach party reunion today, and Donna and I are so pleased to welcome Bobby Shaw Chance to our podcast. How are you today, Bobby?
3: (laughs) Hello, hello from usually sunny, but today raining California.
0: (laughs) Yes, it never rains in California, does it?
3: (laughs) I heard that song somewhere. Anyway, (laughs) Donna Lorne is just one of my absolutely favorite people. I have to tell you that. And And so brilliantly talented. No, let me say it. Brilliantly talented (laughs) singer. And I always loved your sound and your voice. And I just want you to know that if I never told you.
0: I want to just give you a virtual hug and a big kiss on both cheeks. Thank you
3: so much, sweetheart. Well, it's true. You, I mean, you don't know me very well. We worked together in several films, but I don't lie. I call it like it is, and it's gotten me in a lot of trouble over the years.
0: (laughs) Tell us all about that. We want to know all the trouble.
3: I mean, you know, with a lot of celebrities that I've coached and worked with over Mm. the years, not an easy thing. But I let's imagine. go let's go back. Let's reminisce. Shall we do that cuz I, okay. I really don't hardly ever look back in the rearview mirror. I, it's just well, this, not my hey, well, well, well this will be a we really start with beach yeah.
0: Blanket. yeah. Let's start yeah. with beach blanket bingo.
3: Well, amazing for me because I was 17 and got to be Buster Keaton's sidekick. Yeah. And yeah. to me he was just an adorable sweet loving old man who took me under his wing and kind of protected me. I had no idea until until many, many years later that he was like the genius of all comics. I mean, just the genius. Mm-hmm. And he taught me, literally taught me comedy. We would have lunch in his dressing room every day and his wife would bring him lunch
0: mm-hmm.
3: and call him Sir. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I said, "Buster, why is she calling you sir?" And he said, "I trained her that way." Oh.
2: <laughs>
0: a silent film star trains
3: <laughs> there there you go. He's just a you know, and we had so much fun on the set, didn't we? I mean, it was oh, really Oh, yes. Amazing. It was,
0: Amazing on the set and also on location.
3: On location. That was very crazy for me because I lived in Malibu and mm-hmm. I had to be picked up by limousine in the morning and driven who knows where to raleigh studios in Hollywood and then driven to the beach car uh, Leo Carrillo Beach, and yes you know and then back to raleigh studio and then back to Malibu it was very very crazy but it was that so much fun we had a we had a good time it was very lighthearted wasn't it
0: Oh yes, and you know I must say that um, when Dr. Adam visited me in 2011, that's right. Uh, we we took a drive out to see where some of the films were were fit, were made, and we made it out to Leo Carrillo Beach.
3: And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, really something. So, you know, it's lots uh, of memories. Very interesting thing. I I uh, I was asked to talk at Jack Gillardi, who was my agent, mm-hmm. who passed away. Oh, sure. Last oh. year, and I was oh. asked to make a speech at his memorial. Oh, mm-hmm. and the other side of all that lightheartedness, it was a very wild time. I remember, Donna, I don't think you were with us. We went down to Texas and we did a tour of 14 cities in 19 days, you know, which mm-hmm. for a 17 year old, 18 year old, it's not a big deal. But I remember mm-hmm. going into a television station. Mm. Um, with some of the cast members, and the bathroom said, "White only." Okay, mm. this curiosity, and and I've always been sort of an apolitical person, and I remember. All they wanted to talk about was my mink bikini. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Mm. You know? And what it was like working with Annette. Did you get along with her and gossipy stuff, which bored the mm. shit out of me. Excuse my words. <laughs> so I, I said to them, well, I have a question for you. Why does the bathroom, and I never, I mean, I didn't know about this. Why does the bathroom say white only? Mm. And they said, we're going to take a break now. Oh, we went wow. to commercial and they whisked me back into the limousine, back to the hotel. Oh, yeah. And I never forgot that.
2: Yeah, and Bobby, so-
0: may I share with you, yeah. when you were on tour for those films, you know, I did them occasionally. But um, I was working for Dr. Pepper, primarily in the South and Midwest, and I encountered the same signs on bathroom doors, on drinking fountains. Did it
3: blow your mind? Did you say something? Oh, it
0: made me sick to my stomach.
3: Yeah, I, I, I really, uh, it just offended me greatly. And mm. I remember talking about it at Jack Gillardi's memorial. And all of ICM was there, all the top agents in Hollywood and a lot of celebrities were there. And I brought it up and I said, what was the coolest thing about the whole thing is that Jack called, I called him at the, from the hotel and Jack, Mm. because I was really upset, Mm. you know, and he just sort of made the whole thing better and explained it to me because I really didn't get it. You know, I I knew Mm. something was wrong something was yeah, wrong because
0: in, in california we didn't have that segregation issue.
3: exactly there
0: might have been some prejudice but you know it wasn't as severe as in the south i mean we were we were at a, a time of the civil rights movement right you know that's what we experienced firsthand that's right mm-hmm. you know and it was but also, it was the other side of
3: brought, i'm sorry go ahead i was going to say
0: we also brought the beach, we brought the ocean right. to people in the Midwest and the South that had never seen the California coastline.
3: That's right, exactly. And, and it was, was also, it was also the, the cool thing about it now because we're, uh, Frankie was at Jack's memorial, Frankie Avalon, mm. and I said, right. Frankie, why don't we, whoever's left, why mm. don't we have why don't we do a thing about the beach party movies, which changed everything. And he said he would love to do it. Oh, beautiful.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So,
3: and I think, think that we... might be mm. something really, you know, like really awesome to do. I would love
0: to sing my, the songs that I actually, you know, Love's a Secret Weapon comes from a song that I sang in Bikini Beach.
3: In Bikini Beach. Which yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Well, which that's is before really I got message. signed on. That was before. Yeah, okay. uh, Your was
1: first de- one was Pajama Party, wasn't
3: it? it was Pajama. That's P- P- <laughs> right. Elsa Lanchester and um, um, Buster and Oh no, Jodie? Pajama Party in a Haunted House was with uh um, Basil Rathbone <laughs> uh-huh. and Boris Karloff. I mean, they pulled these guys out of mothballs. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> And they were wonderful actors. And I think everybody just had to pay their taxes. So they did well, all the beach party films.
2: <laughs> Whatever
0: wow. you need to do. But <laughs> yeah. then they became classics. Exactly. And that's what whoever... I'd
3: love to do, the Turner Classic. I'd love to put, Frankie said, yes, he would love to do it.
0: And count me in.
3: Yeah,
1: done. How fantastic. Done. And we've got to look for whoever else there is. And, um, you know, Bobby, when you're talking about those promotions around the country, was it true that you were on Johnny Carson as well?
3: I did a Johnny Carson show five times. Awesome. Oh. And, you know, he, you know, loved having me on and it was very fun for me to do. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember the first time I never thought he'd invite me back because the first time I went, I brought my little poodle and he took a shit on the stage. <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> and I said,
3: okay, all right, I'm out of here. I'm sure they're going to whisk me away again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but they, they invited overdue. us. They invited me back around five times. We did it five times. It was oh, very, fantastic. you know, they they really knew how to promote the uh, the films. Mm. Mm. But I love that you'll be part of this, Donna, and I'm going to pursue it. And I'd love for you to do the same too. with turn a Turner classic because I think it's a more. It's important.
0: It it is. I mean, it's still important to so many people. That era, the music, and the so-called innocence of the era that, that yeah. we were able to capture and and for people to relive over and over again. I get yeah. that all the time.
3: Yeah, me too. I can't believe it's still got you get. I know you get a ton of fan mail, and I get a ton of fan mail, and they just say it was one of the happiest times of my life. Mm-hmm.
2: That's You mm-hmm. know, like
3: that, and. You know, we we helped that. We helped promote that. So that was very cool. You well, did. I'll I'll keep my
0: voice in shape and if you want me there, I'll be there and I'll yeah. be wailing
3: think, out some of those songs <laughs> if you wish. I think you know, if not just sitting and talking about, you know, how things how movies were changed, how things mm. got changed because young people didn't have a voice then. And we mm. you know, we helped even though a lot of it was bubblegum, we helped give that voice absolutely that's that's a beautiful message what did you do
0: after where where did you thank you for thank you for asking well you know that dr pepper was involved in beach party films and so my career was based on being the dr pepper spokesperson right and that's what i continued doing until i decided that i was going to retire and start a family and that's what i did at 21
3: great
1: Mm. And it, with you, with you, Bobby, you continued to do some acting after the beach party movies. I think you were in a film with David Carradine and Barbara Hershey. I did.
3: I did. I, I, I still was under contract and I walked out mm. of my contract because oh, I, right. I got tired of wearing a bikini and just <laughs> being known for having a great ass and beautiful breath <laughs> and, you know, big blue. I didn't want that anymore. And I said, mm. you know what? You know, acting is really something that I'm really good at, and I mm. knew it at a very young age. So I did a couple of independent films, one with David Carradine and the other one uh, uh, with a director by the name of Robert Pearson. Mm. And then after that, one of the executives from Beach, from the Beach Party movies mm. uh, from AIP called me and he said, a fellow by the name of Rob Reiner and Richard mm. Dreyfus. these young guys are starting an improv group why don't and they're looking for a young pretty girl who can do comedy and Bobby you're terrific at comedy blah 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 and I went and I auditioned for it and for two years we were the and I'm really proud of this the Mm. first comedy there was no improv on television yeah we did the Steve Allen show and there was no we were before Saturday Night Live in Living Color. We were Mm. like the granddaddy of improv. And it was so great until we got kicked out of all the Playboy Clubs because we were obscene.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I find that hard to believe.
3: (laughs) No, I mean, it was, there was, I remember one night there was a row of ministers in the front row and I'm wondering like, why are these ministers here (laughs) at the Playboy Club? And we offended them. Richard Dreyfuss, who went on to win an Academy Award, mm. he and I fell off the stage, <laughs> and we landed on the table of the front row of the ministers, <laughs> and they grabbed their little bunny tail things, and they left. You know? <laughs> Why were they there in we, the first place?
0: That's what I wanted they, to know. What were they
3: doing there in the first place? Yeah. But that was a very cool experience for me. And Reiner. And Reiner, Reiner. Reiner went on to win Academy Award, and Dreyfus did. And uh, Larry Bishop, Joey Bishop's son was in the group and another gal uh, who went on to do soap opera. And we just really paved. I'm really blessed. I find myself being in the right place at the right time and I never Mm -hmm. question it. You know, Donna. You know what I mean. I just—I do
0: know that, Bobby, because you're trust a very spiritual the, yes,
3: person.
1: Yeah. Mm. I was just going to ask you, Bobby. Then, how did from from doing the improv? How did the acting school come about?
3: Well, I too, I got married to a very famous rock and roll producer. Yes. And we were living in Malibu. Jerry Goldstein's his name. Mm-hmm. And we were living in Malibu. And I said, okay, I want to have a family. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, wake up literally okay I'm ready to have a family now and he said I'm building an empire for you I'm producing all these you know Grammy songs and gram I and he said I he said I can't build an empire for you and have a family I yeah. said okay I love you you'll be my friend for the rest of my life goodbye Wow and wow. and uh, moved to Beverly Hills and went to literally went to the market Mm. And there was a man standing across from me, and he picked up this is this is amazing. He picked up a green apple, and he said, "Excuse me, Miss. can you tell me how this is how do you know if it 's ripe if it 's green <laughs> and i I looked at him and I said, "Are you kidding me <laughs> I said, "Adam got in a lot of trouble asking Eve, <laughs> do you want me to tell you
2: <laughs>
3: and we were married a year later
2: oh. perfect
3: and and uh, and we had two wonderful kids and I got bored being, you know, pregnant the second time. And he mm. said, why don't you start coaching actors? So I did. Oh. And it great became move. iconic. Mm. Mm. No, I mean, I never advertise. I wouldn't even do a website. I I just like I'm really old school like that. I, yeah. I just figured if something's really great... And you're doing something with all the passion you got in your heart and soul. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to hear about it. And, and you know,
0: Bobby, that's exactly that's a, the principle that is is carrying the new wave of entertainment today. Is I think so. Yes, it's the promotion is not in, in not you know instigating the success. It's word of
3: mouth. Exactly. I think it's. I think the good stuff is always like that. So sure. you know, we just. I mean. I was at my studio. We got shut down because of COVID, but I was Mm -hmm. there for 30 years. I missed one time i had to go to Miami because we had showcases Donna you came to one of our showcases yes i sure did thank yeah, you very much the level me. the level of performances of these novice actors is was just tremendous it's called hollywood actors showcase
1: who i've 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 looked you up of course and and seen some of the uh, people who have walked through your doors but uh, tell us about who has who has come through your acting school in that time
3: well a young A young actor who was very funny, but he was Mm. the first one there and the last to leave. Mm. He was amazing. Ryan Reynolds. Fantastic. Young Scarlett Johansson. And (laughs) Scarlett was very plain. She wasn't the Scarlett we know today. She was Mm. almost a little shy, but Mm. she sucked everything up with such passion and such uh, dedication. Yeah, and she became a powerhouse, and she hasn't really found her role yet, but she will. Wow, mm-hmm. I'm sure she will. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, everybody's been there. Anthony Hopkins was there, uh, Andy Garcia, Jennifer awesome. Aniston. I mean, it was like who's and it was a funky little studio. Yeah, yeah. And every it was like who's who in Hollywood every Thursday night for thirty years. There would be ten. 10 or 15 directors, producers, casting people, agents, Mm. sitting in the seats looking at these talent. And so many of our talent went on to become celebrities. And that's the kick. That is the kick for me, you all. That is like, that's what I love doing best is taking actors and turning them into celebrities. That's the most fun for me.
1: How fantastic. And with your approach, I've read a little bit about your approach to acting. Um, and Oh, course, tell me
3: about it. Tell me well, because I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, now I've put myself in the hole, you know that. But um, <laughs> well, um, I guess, uh, you know, you talk about not having, not necessarily, of course, uh, you know, practicing and so on, but ha- tapping into raw emotion. Is that correct or have I completely messed that up?
3: Yeah, raw emotion. That's it. I cannot tolerate any bullshit in front mm. of the camera or on stage because it is about raw emotion, and the actor has to be able to be selfless to get to mm. that mm-hmm. and not think about themselves and how do I look, how do I sound, am I doing any good? They they, they got to go all the way into the part because that's all mm. we really care about is the part.
2: I'm we're watching a
3: movie, we're not watching – nicole kidman doing nicole kidman nobody wants to see that we want to see the role
1: you know bobby you're talking about no bullshit and it's i think that's really your approach isn't it whether we think about what you did on that tv studio back in the 60s asking well why is this happening probably also how you had to deal with um and i'm interested in this because i know you and donna had similar experiences with this that you were young women Working with predominantly middle-aged men, uh, particularly the executives, I'm talking about, yeah, and how you yeah. how you navigated that because that's uh, yeah that's that must be difficult potentially.
3: Well, it was. I remember having an experience. You know, before this whole Me Too movement, mm-hmm. I remember the, one of the people who were the head of the PR department there. Mm. made a pass at me, and, you know, I didn't, I was really, I mean, really naive. When I look mm-hmm. back, I, go, I don't even know how I survived. I mean, I was like, came from a very sheltered, loving, f- artistic, but mm. you know, very sheltered family, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember he made a pass at me, and I turned him down, and then he spread her a rumor around about me, and it was just, you know, like, wow.
2: Yeah, this
3: is this is is not where I want to be. And and
0: how fortunate that somehow you and I, you know, we didn't know this about each other, but I also managed to, you know, not be taken advantage of. And I so appreciate that in in my brief career compared to yours. And I'm so grateful that, you know, you could have that discretion to know that's, I'm not being known for my body. I'm being known for my talent and, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and, and I'm going to be using my t- talent to teach others.
3: Yeah. And, and, you know, I always tell, because my studio is famous for um, its young, beautiful, sexy talent. Most everybody that came through my doors mm. was young and really attractive. Mm. I had very few character actors and I always said to them, you know, get by on your work. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, always get by on your work. Give it everything you got, or go home. Yeah. And uh, it, it has to be like that. I have to tell you what I'm doing now yes, because please. it's so. It's everything that. You know how like you look back at your life and you say, "Well, everything you've done got you to this point." Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I, I've always had this vision um, because for many years I've been coaching several actors from China.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
3: and so I was invited to go there and and did a bunch of promotion for the Chinese government but it, it didn't work out to go there so it didn't work mm-hmm. out but now I'm working with some fabulous people as a matter of fact uh, one of the uh, women that I'm working with and I love it because she's a woman she's the head of she owns the cotton industry in China Wow she 's a self made billionaire from a little tiny village. You know the story. you know mm. and just mm. pushed her way through, and so she is uh, partners with Dr. Gillini, who is a friend of mine who started the family Film awards right and they are there was a law passed because of him. It was a law passed in Hollywood that every studio and every TV network had to make three family films a year.
2: Mm. Mm. And
3: he made that, he pushed that through with Dick Clark, whom I'm sure you know, Donna. (laughs) Oh, very well. Mm -hmm. So he pushed that through. Anyway, so I am working with them now. We're just building a relationship and building a friendship and coming to an understanding. And my dream is to be able to go global with our acting mm. studio, which is now called, uh, my son is running, Richard Chance. Yeah. And it's called Raw, R-A-W, right?
1: Fantastic. That's great. Yeah, Raw. <laughs>
3: and, <laughs> which should give you a, a, kind of an inkling what it's about. Yeah. But one of my visions is to be able to work with the Chinese actresses. Mm. And so that is one of my goals. So last week I gave out an award, at the Beverly Hilton to the Justin Bieber of China.
1: Ah, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> you know,
3: and so my relationship with them is one of trust and integrity, and it's growing. And I hope, really, by next year at this time, that I'll be in China uh, doing a five city tour to help set up acting studios and work, get the opportunity to work with the Chinese
1: how amazing that yeah fantastic yeah,
3: because they, i have
2: you know, to
0: say i'm, I'm going to call you a goodwill ambassador
3: no oh, thank to- you I, you know how each of us in our lifetimes were tapped on the shoulder you know <laughs> if we're fortunate we're tapped on the shoulder to be able to have a vision to see where we fit in and what we're supposed to be doing and i feel mm. really blessed because i have been tapped on the shoulder and that's what i'm working towards now and it's slow you know and mm. i'm very impatient person i want it now <laughs> you know
0: but your timing is so impeccable now to you know to engage you know on a global level and to also to elevate yes. the the self-respect within the industry and again transform the yeah. attitudes of, you know, the gender gap and, yeah. um, and create more equality.
3: Yeah, exactly. That's what has to happen both here and globally. But um, what, so another way that we're doing that, I'm producing and starring in, we just finished shooting our TV pilot mm-hmm. uh, in a show called Acting with Hollywood Stars, like Dancing mm-hmm. with the Stars, <laughs> but Acting with Hollywood Stars. Right. But it's not a game yeah. show. And it's gritty and glamorous and it's about young, beautiful talent Mm. from all over the world and what they have given up to get here and sacrifice Mm. and have them work with celebrities who I have coached and those who I haven't coached to come on the show and give them pointers and help them in their journey because you've got to give back. If you don't give back, what the hell are you doing here? You know? Yeah,
0: the mentoring.
3: Yeah, and just, well, you know, even just holding a candle in the darkness, you know, mm. a celebrity like Scarlett, Johnny Rabizi and Ryan mm. Reynolds, and uh, Andy Garcia, who's been on my stage, and Anthony Hopkins, and Jennifer Aniston, all these wonderful people who have been at the right place at the right time and have a career going, hold mm. a candle to a young person who has no clue they have no clue they come out here with a big dream and they have no clue what it takes to get to their goal so we're doing this show called acting with hollywood stars right and, and uh it's my work and also uh i guess the work of a higher power <laughs> whatever you want to say that's fantastic it's always you know thin you and wow. without well said, and that's so. That's where I'm at right now. Mm. So we were so fortunate. We just signed contracts with Larry Nehmer. Now, mm. Larry Nehmer, most people don't know his name, but he founded e-Entertainment, which is the oh, number one entertainment yeah. station around the yeah. world. Do you get yeah. it in Australia? We do, do
1: get it? it. We do definitely get it. Well, it's I the number
3: it one again. channel. In the world for entertainment, and Larry was the CEO, and he founded it. And we just signed him as our executive producer for our show. How exciting for you! Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's very, very. That's what we
0: need: innovation and and showing how people can reach their full potential.
3: Exactly. You know, while while making this world, because we all know that the arts heal.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely, and Don't particularly, particularly given what's been happening in the world in the last year, that is so true and so much needed more than more than ever. And it really sounds, Bobby, like you have a lot of meaning in your life, um, which is just wonderful. Aww. You know that you've you've got stuff that you're working towards and stuff that really gives you that that passion and that um, you know. Oh, interest. I'm a
3: maniac. I'm not just bad. I'm a total
2: maniac.
3: <laughs> I'm the first to admit it. <laughs> you know i mean this she's a maniac maniac yeah yeah that's me i'm the one because i just don't know how to get off the train you know there there is no getting off the train for me
1: well we hope that you you don't um you know we hope (laughs) that you keep going and doing wonderful things and we have to we do have to ask you because the podcast as you know is called love the secret weapon and um i'm probably jumping in here to ask you but what is your secret weapon then
3: Whoa. You mean just one?
1: <laughs> well you can have a few. We're happy for you to have as many as you like. Right.
3: Is this a multiple choice? <laughs>
2: All of the above. You can
3: All of the above <laughs> put the little X's. I uh it's to me it's about I don't know, I have certain a certain code that I live by and I guess that's my secret weapon mm. is uh uh truth and mm integrity, and loyalty. I guess those three boxes can be checked in a row in that order. Yep, pretty and, good boxes.
0: I second the you know,
3: I Yeah. I mean, that's, people say to me, "Well, I've been married for 43 years now and this man completely ruined my reputation. <laughs> you <know>? oh. and, <laughs> and, and he's like my third husband and I had five fiancés in between, the three husbands, and I And people say to me, how could you stay married, you know, for 43 (laughs) years in a Hollywood relationship? You know, Donna, you know what I'm talking about. Oh,
0: certainly. And
3: and I think the number one thing would be truth, you know, would be... Honesty. That is hopefully an answer to your question, is that, you know, we don't lie to each other, ever. And my kids are that way, too. That's right. Um, right. So, Richie, it's... If I may yeah. Richie's Richie's uh Richie Chance's workshop is uh, Richie with an IE mm-hmm. chance dot com and he's doing our work because he grew up doing it. He mm-hmm. was on stage when he was four. Working at the studio and, you know, just doing little fun little kid jobs and just <laughs> grew up around it all. Mm-hmm. And so he's taken over my studio mm-hmm. and it's on uh, doing it on Zoom. Right. Yeah. And it's it's called Richie with an IE. RichieChance.com is the way to get in. And he's got actors from Belgium and Korea and Paris and London and, of course, Hollywood and mm-hmm. all over. That he's coaching, mm. uh, but that's too difficult for me. I I'm like a touchy feely person. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we hope that you can get back in the studio sooner rather than later, and we'll put out we'll put Richie's details up on.
3: Oh, our, that would our be our lovely.
1: Yeah, because that's brilliant. And just wonderful that even during COVID, he's able to teach through Zoom all over the world. How fantastic. I know.
3: It's sort of, it, yeah, it's sort of like a blessing in disguise. I mean, it's very, very cool. And I'm just doing private sessions with uh, uh, a handful of celebrities and mm. uh, actors right now. Mm. It's so funny because I don't think anybody accepting an Academy Award has ever said, thank you to my acting coach, without whom i would not be here nobody (laughs) nobody said that yet we have to change that so i think i'm gonna have to grab one for myself from our show (laughs)
1: Please do. That's exactly <laughs> right. It's like when Michael Douglas is in the Kaminsky Method and he gets up and wins the Emmy and he thanks his, well, he thanks his agent, but he didn't thank, yeah, any acting coaches. You're right. No. You need to change that. That's I haven't watched that time. show.
3: I've been told to watch it, but, and I really like Michael Douglas a lot. Yeah. It's very funny. Alan Arkin,
0: too. They're both, they're hysterical. Yeah,
3: they're funny. They're very funny guys. My husband, Lawrence Chance, is writing mm. a screenplay called I Love Hollywood. Yes, right. Which we're really excited about, and I want to direct it. And he's been a ghostwriter for a lot of years. And I said, why don't you write a movie for me, your wifey? Wifey, wifey <laughs> over here. And so so, cool. so he did.
1: That's right.
3: Yeah. And uh, so we're working on that. You know, but everything everything in this town has to start with a dream, right, Donna?
0: You manifest your dream, absolutely.
3: I know you you're so spiritual. I always love that about you.
0: Well, next time I'm in California, we must see eye to eye. Please. For sure.
3: Done. <laughs> absolutely for sure. That's and I great. just
0: want to I mm-hmm. want to just extend so much love and gratitude for you being in my life and Thank and you. for you And for you sharing your life with Dr. Adam and I and the world. And we wish you the greatest success. And we hope your message pounds and multiplies and and reaches so many. Just send out your love and send out your light. And hopefully it's this world is going to change. It's going to, we're going to witness the change.
3: Yes. Thank you. That's what we're working towards. And. And uh, the right people are all coming in for our project. And it's really amazing when things are guided. I truly believe this. When things are guided out of spirit, mm-hmm. without getting too schmaltzy here, when things, <laughs> when things are guided out of spirit, it's almost like you don't even have to push. It's just right. sort of it's like.
0: Effort, it's effortless.
3: It's effortless. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, it, it's effortless. And yes, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for something because I'll never forget that you did this a couple of, I guess maybe five years ago, one of our charities is the uh, Free Arts for Abused Kids. Mm -hmm. So I had a couple of extra beach blanket bingo posters around and I reached Mm -hmm. out to Donna and I said, they're having an auction and to help raise money for the free arts for abused kids that are, mm-hmm. you know, being protected mm. in safe houses all over LA. Mm. And I said, mm. Donna, I said, would you come up to my studio? Mm-hmm. And I hadn't talked to her for years. Yeah. I, and, mm-hmm. and I said, would you come up to our studio? And maybe we could sign it and film it that we're signing it. And, mm-hmm. and we'll give it to free arts and they'll auction it off. Well, I think they got I want to say fifteen hundred dollars just for the one poster that we both signed. That's and right. They were so thrilled, and uh, hopefully mar- we'll be able to do that again in the future. Mm. Oh. Yeah,
2: mm.
0: I am all in for. You know, I love, but I just love, love that
3: together. out of the blue you just responded so quickly. Well, you, you just- know,
0: when hearts are connected, time is irrelevant.
3: Yeah, it really is. <laughs> There's like no space. Well, we're getting all all lovey dovey, for-, for clumped. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: this is wonderful and wonderful for the Beach Party fans. They are going to love this. and we Well, do hope- we
3: love the Beach Party fans. You know, it's a whole generation of wonderful people that grew up with our movies. And, and I'm sure I can speak for Donna as well. We love the fans. And uh, uh, Donna, one of these times that you do, I've been invited so many times to do like autograph signing things and fly all over the country, but I have always turned it down. You know, because something else is always going on. But one sure. of these times, if you do that, let's do it together. Oh, that sounds beautiful. That would girl. be fun for me if you if you were there. I, I, I'd I would, love to
0: be with you. I'd yeah, love to.
3: That, that would be a fun thing. And I have like hundreds of pictures, like hundreds oh, of them in my office. <laughs> oh, God. So that Anyway, I want to thank you guys for inviting me to be on your podcast. Oh, and oh. blessings to all of you and all the fans oh, that oh. listen in. And uh, oh, thank thanks so much for inviting me to talk about my, my adventure. Oh, Fantastic. Thank we you We appreciate
0: you. Thank you.
3: Okay. Bye. Bye Until from hell,
4: California. <laughs> <My> love. <laughs> bye, love. Bye, sweetheart. <laughs> bye, darling. Yes, bye.